Welcome back, everybody, to the Waggle and Whip podcast. Scotty and Steve coming to you. Hey, Scotty's here. Uh, all things back in order in the Waggle and Whip studio, uh, aka Grigley Residence. Yes, indeed. Happy to be good. here. Big, big week in golf. Big week in golf. Big big day for the podcast. Austin Smotherman, Web.com tour rookie, will be coming to you on this podcast. Live interview with him in just a little bit. He tells some great stories from the Web and Latino American tours that he's been on and uh he's just a great guy so stick around for austin it's going to be a, a great interview with him but first don't forget to find us on itunes subscribe rate and review waggle and whiff uh, you can also follow us on spotify uh waggle and whiff and then on our social channels reach out to us uh waggle the letter n whiff pod on instagram and waggle and whiff on twitter so reach out We've got Honda. Yes, indeed. Recap Honda Classic down in uh, Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, great, uh, great field, fantastic field, filled with just world, no, former world number ones. I'm kidding there. Uh, <laughs> it was a lackluster field coming in, but it ended up being a great golf tournament on a really difficult golf course. Um, coming down the stretch, one of the better finishes we've had all year, and the names you'd want involved in it were involved. Kepka, Fowler at the top of the list, some unexpected uh, guys on the leaderboard. VJ Your called, boy, called you him called out it. last podcast. I said it. I was like, hey, VJ's there. You know, you never know. Uh, so VJ played well. It was just kind of a really interesting week and a very enjoyable, a more enjoyable, I think we thought, Scotty, to watch throughout the week. Yep. Keith Mitchell caps it off. Congrats to Keith Mitchell. Makes a huge putt on 18 for his first PGA Tour win. And uh, I think everybody and their mother there was kind of golf Twitter world was kind of hoping for a Fowler Mitchell Kepka playoff, which would have been really exciting. But I mean, you got to love to see a guy, even though, you know, I'm a rookie guy. You got to love to see a, a rookie bury a 15 footer to win his first PGA Tour tournament. Your thoughts on the Honda? Yeah, I mean, what an unbelievable finish. And like you said, I think most of the golf world was looking for a playoff with Kepka and Fowler, who both played so good on Sunday, and specifically we're going to talk about putts that they made. But at the end of the day, the better player for that day made the biggest putt of all and, and sunk his first career uh, PJ Tour victory, um, Keith Mitchell. And Dan Hicks even got the name incorrect as he's walking down the 18th fairway and called him Kevin Mitchell. Really? And for those who are baseball fans, might remember the 1989 uh, baseball MVP. But with that said, 27-year-old, best finish so far on tour. I think someone that has a golf swing that's going to stay around for a while. And uh, it was just a cool, fun story to watch the guy that hasn't really been in that spot hit the biggest putt of his life and win uh, win the Honda. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he was nails all day, right? It wasn't just that last putt. He was nails all day. Great-looking golf swing, uh, you know. Hopefully he'll he'll stick around and, and and do some better things on tour. You know, one thing you mentioned is funny. You mentioned that Dan Hicks called called his name out wrong. We don't do this much on this podcast, but you you have any quick thoughts on the broadcast now with Zinger in the booth and and everything else? It's fine. Changing from Johnny. It's fun. I mean, still I miss, getting, I'm still getting used to him. Yeah, but I, mean, I like I'm, him. I miss Johnny Miller. I think Azinger does a fine job. He was a guy that I enjoyed at fox and i think he's fine i don't think he's johnny miller but i think him and dan will develop a chemistry and they'll become normal he's, for everyday golf fans he's uh he you, i could tell as a you know we're i guess working in broadcasting a little bit i could tell they were still getting 
used to each other a little bit. A couple of times Zinger was like stepping on Dan and, and, you know, maybe vice versa. So he'll get used to it. He's in the flow, but I would say a solid, solid start for the Zinger on, on the uh, NBC broadcast so far. Anyways, so probably bigger, bigger news, biggest yes. news of the week. <laughs> The big cat, Tiger, withdrawing yes. from the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Orlando with a neck strain. Your yep. thoughts, Yeah, Scott? no, this is by far the probably the a biggest golf strain. story that broke today. I know you have your doubts about what this neck strain is. The only thing that this reminds me, and he did it on Twitter, um, and some important things to note here. He talked about he hasn't rolled out playing in the players yet, so he hopes to be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, he t- said that there's no long-term issues here. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot more than Tiger ever gives us. And so the fact that I think he's giving it to, I think there's a little bit of a pause for concern. But obviously, I think my biggest concern is, you know, we're four weeks away from the Masters. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. That only leaves the players, Valspar, the WGC Dell match play, which I don't know if he'll play, and the Valero to get ready for Augusta. That's yeah. not a lot, and I think for a forty, you know, forty-some-year-old man who you know needs rest and needs to prep his body, a forty-three-year-old Tiger, I don't think this is a good sign. And I really hope he's at players. If he's not at players, I don't expect much at Augusta. Okay, you still, you still think? I mean, he's gonna play Augusta. He's gonna for sure. He'll play, but I just don't expect yeah. much if he doesn't get in repetitions. I think he needs at least two more tournaments, and I don't know where he gets them. Look, I'm just suspicious about this because, it, I mean, it if it comes out of nowhere. I, I mean, you, he looked fine at uh, in Mexico. I mean, played well in terms of everything, especially with those, you know, the majority of his game, right? Uh, fair uh, tee to green. Yep. Didn't putt well, but I mean, I gotta think something else. I don't know what else. I don't want to speculate too much. You know, on on what else might be going on. Like maybe he's not visiting his massage parlors <laughs> anymore. Um, but I just find it really weird that a neck strain w- that again just pops up out of nowhere. So, you know what I mean? So he did have kinesiology. I think there's, there's some smoke and tape. mirrors somewhere. Here. He did have kinesiology tape uh, on his neck at the Open Championship last year, where he played phenomenal. Um, he didn't speak to the media after his final two rounds in Mexico, which I think might have been something to this, the fact that maybe he was injured and didn't want to be injured to show the media that he was injured. Also after the massage parlor news. So, so I think all of this starts to make some sense of he's been dealing with something over the last what he described as few weeks. Yeah. Now we know exactly what it is. Also, too, I think it is convenient that he's missing this event. He's missed it the most out of all of the regular calendar events. I think this is... Really? I didn't know that was Yeah, true. I think he hasn't played, I think, in six years or something like that. Um, or five Ar- of the Arlen last Palmer? six years he's missed. Yeah. I thought he played last year. I thought he played because Rory won it. Rory won it, right. Yeah. Well, he, he did play it last year, but I think he missed the last five consecutive. Before that. Or, or something yeah. like that. So, so, And also, too, it's no doubt that this is not the player's favorite golf course. Um, and it is for Tiger. He's won eight times there. Yeah, I was but, gonna say, but he's won a bunch at Bay Hill, and they love to, you know. But give. I think, but I think if it he had to pick this one or the players to miss, I'm just saying I think it's strategic that he misses this one. Okay, so you think it's more strategic? I'm. I think it's more. I don't know. Look, in all seriousness, I'm not. I don't know if it's like any PR related stuff, right? I, I'll just say it, keep it there. Yeah. I don't know if it's that. It could be, but I'm. I don't think so. 
I think it's probably something a little bit more serious that he's not letting out because I think if you're uh, and and maybe something that even happened off of the golf course because he just looked fine in Mexico. I know you mentioned the tape, but to me, he's still swinging hard. He still looks fine. And then out of nowhere, it's just a neck strain. And if if you have a strained neck, in my mind, if that's all it is, you can probably play through that. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna like take yourself out of the Masters by playing with a At strained 43? neck. At forty three. He just played one week ago and looked fine. Like in a in a like take a couple Advil. World, world, world golf championship that was a lot more money and meant a lot to him than playing and lifting up another Arnold Palmer Invitational Trophy. He loves he loves to play at places where he's won before. Just of like course Tory, he is. Just at Bay Hill, and he and he loves to pay tribute. He was good friends with Arnold. Like he loves to play this tournament. He. I think he honestly meant that in his tweet that he, he would love to play here. No, I, I think he was honest, but I just think that if he has an injury and he has to sit, I think he'd rather be healthy for players than, you know, than not. So I think this is why, like, it's a, an interesting place to, to give it up. Okay. Well, I, I think something could be up. That's, I'm just I'm just sniffing around, and right, well, we'll let you know what we find out. <laughs> you, you'll find out before me. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. Uh, okay, so another, I guess, how do I even start this? Every week we're talking about this. New rules situation. Another rules situation uh, arrives. JT and the USGA get into it on Twitter. Um, look, I have a whole thing that I've kind of thought about that I want to just, again, about this whole, specifically about the rule with caddies lining up players. Yep. Um, but I'll let you comment first. I don't know if you want to start on the JT uh, USGA stuff or the actual rules violation that happened in Honda. So let's start with actually what happened. So yeah. Adam Shank in the Saturday round was, was assessed a two-shot penalty for the caddy essentially violating, uh, and I mean, we've talked about the rule here before, rule 10.2b, uh, which basically says that a caddy can never be an extension of a line, Uh sitting right. behind the player of his line directly to the target. So it was to combat caddies lining up players, right? And what the USGA felt is that the caddy shouldn't be able to line a player up. It was part of a skill to be able to line yourself up to the target and hit a shot. But the problem is, is that this rule has been basically assessed at the USGA's subjective will, even yeah. sometimes after and, the players... And RNA. Did yeah. It's happening on your Well, we'll target. get to that in a minute, but... The, the players sometimes have stepped outside of their stance after the caddy has already been there mm-hmm. and then relined themselves up and still gotten the two-shot penalty. And so that was supposed to be the clarification. And so I just don't understand how they address this rule. It's a, I don't think it's a very good rule. I think the one teammate golfers have is a caddy. And if you can use someone to help you gain an advantage, that should be the one person. And so I don't see why this is even an issue. Yeah, and I think I, for the most part, agree with you. Like I think that um, you know, there's a, there's some point where you're probably going to take up too much time, so that the penalty should then become, and you're going to hate this, but slow play. Oh God! But because this is this is here's the rant. Okay, so this is why the rule was created. It was created, and again, we mentioned this because on some tours or some. It, not just on the LPGA tour, but predominantly on the LPGA tour, but it happened everywhere on other tours as well, where caddies were literally like getting to the ground and watching the player line up their putter with the line and taking their time and then backing them off and then stepping over and then having like, you know, a 30 second conversation, just lining the player up. 
And then it got to be a little bit ridiculous where it was like, okay, like at some point the player should be responsible for lining up a putt and, and hitting the putt, right? Now, I'm completely on your side with everything else because the way this rule is translated into professional golf has just been horrible, right? It's just not translating. Right. So, you know, I mean, this week Adam Schenk was in the bunker. His caddy wasn't even lining him up. His caddy was just standing behind him and ta- having a conversation while he was in the bunker, maybe picking out a spot to land the ball, which, which why is that a wrong? Like, why is that a, something that should be penalized? Anyways, he gets penalized for standing behind him in the bunker, like like 10 feet yeah. behind him and talking to him. So, I mean, basically, if there, if, if the rule at its, at its heart was meant to stop people from taking too much time on the greens, A, and B, creating some kind of unfair advantage, you're not achieving any of those because now what you can do is you a player can line up, the caddy can actually be behind them, and they can back off of their putt after, making it even slower, right. and then line themselves back up again. So right. now you're just making them go through extra steps. Which is exactly what happened at Waste Management when they right. gave it to the gentleman I can't think of off the top of my head. Right, and so it's not achieving any of the actual intentions of the rule to begin with. So I think the whole thing at this point should just be I think they should just scrap it. I mean, yeah. caddies aren't even sure about what to do. We've right. heard some reports from caddies that are like, we're just scared to give people reads because right. like, when do you define when a player starts to take his stance? I mean, at what point? Right. So caddies are just backing off. They're like not giving players advice on the greens. And it's there's no way to just draw the line in the sand here that I can see. So they, it, to me, they all need to get back in a freaking room and talk about it and figure out a way if they should enforce this rule or if they shouldn't because right now i think they should just throw the whole damn thing out i don't think it works i think you had a great point and just to be brief i think that yeah i mean the last thing a caddy wants to do is cost anyone two shot penalty yeah so with that I mean that a lot of times that just makes caddies not be able to do a functionality of their job which is the worst case scenario but so how this plays out is justin thomas right comes out and basically says that it's terrible, right? How they are applying this rule and, and that the USGA is not doing it right. Then the USGA, for some reason, whoever is in charge of the USGA PR Twitter account, I think they let a 16 year old get a comes hold of the out account. and actually tweets back in response to Justin Thomas that we need to talk to you, that we that you've canceled multiple meetings. And your tour, I quote, your tour has had a seat at the table for the last seven years. So basically, the USGA is not only calling out the PGA Tour for protecting their players, which they a lot of times do, but also ripping JT personally. Right. Then JT comes out and says that I've never canceled any meeting and that I'm personally hurt. And this is just what he described as inaccurate about him canceling meetings with the USGA. And so now you're seeing a division among tour players now. Some are backing Justin Thomas, like Zach Johnson came out. And then we have guys like Ernie Els and kind of some of the older crew, a Patrick Harrington, that says, you know, the rules are the rules and you got to follow them. So now you're starting to be, have divisions on tour. I mean, you're having divisions on tour, which is crazy. But I just think that the way the USGA handled that, and I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to scroll for the actual tweet right now, and I think the USGA must have deleted it. It's it's on but Justin Thomas's response. He, retwe- he retweeted it. I mean, it was basically, I mean, he's like, Justin, 
call us, or I shouldn't say he, the USGA right. PR Twitter account. Justin, call us. We've tried to do this. It's like you're like, what is this? It's it, the USGA. It's like it's a text message between a Tinder date you had a month ago, like on Twitter. <laughs> you're right. the USGA. Like you're the governing body of the rules of golf and you're conducting yourself like a 16 year old. And by the way, you hit on an interesting point about the RNA. So last week we talked about Mike Davis coming out and saying that these rules have been a tremendous success. But now the chief <laughs> communication person from the RNA came out and says it hasn't went as smooth as we would like. So the USGA and RNA aren't even aligned on this. And so it's just causing confusion. And it, this is literally going to disrupt golf because no one knows it's becoming the lead story exactly and and it's an it's an an embarrassment for the usga and the rna if you ask me yeah bad rollout i mean i mean ricky is out there making fun of the knee drop he's pooping balls exactly so like he's pooping taylor made out as when he makes his drops exactly so so all of this has just been i think a clusterfuck on the behalf of the usga well said I mean, I, I don't know how they could do it, but I mean, I honestly think they come in with intentions, the right intentions. I know you like hate talking about slow play. I don't really get the knee drop thing, but I, I, I just, I don't understand how you could just fumble this badly. I mean, you have to think about all of the unintended consequences yeah. and all of the possible ramifications and really do a good job polling tour players and head club professionals and all this types all these types and it might not just take six months they keep talking about this six month test period that they did and they like these you know we've had a couple of things where a pga tour representative had a seat at the table like that's not practicality like you, you need to let these rules play out and and test them in tournament play before it really matters in some form or fashion. And by right? the way, the, the PGA Tour doesn't have collective bargaining rights. It's not like they're in the baseball and, and right. football union sitting down talking about changes and everything's negotiable. No, the USGA just decides that they want this and they're going to apply it. So that expectation now when people are playing for the livelihoods, I think is crazy to not have this better rolled out by now. Yeah, and the, I mean it's a two-stroke penalty. It's like crazy. I mean, can you imagine like your your caddy like says a couple words to you as he's standing behind you, and you take one step into the ball, caddy moves away, then you finish your step up into the ball, and like you're got a putt to win a golf tournament, and then the USJ has to tell you after actually like he was a little too close to you, so you know you got two-stroke penalty. And who determines I mean, well who that is? Like, it's so subjective. Yeah. I mean it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Get it out. Um, Anyways, that's all we got for, uh, I think, for this week. You got anything else, Scotty, before we get to Austin? The Honda might have been a bad field, but there was some really oh, good golf right. this week. Today. 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 Down in Florida. Seminole. Seminole had their uh, their pro-am. Seven of the world's top nine played. Yes, indeed. That's four more than was at Honda. <laughs> four more. <laughs> um, so, so, so some of you that, that may not know, just briefly here, this is a little inside baseball, but... Uh, the Seminole Pro-Am, which is one of the top and most exclusive country clubs in the entire country or in the world, I would say, always has their big Pro-Am the day after the Honda. And like you said, a, a lot of tour players go play um, with some of the esteemed members. It is actually a lot, very close to the USGA. A lot of former Walker Cup uh, captains mm-hmm. are members at oh, Seminole. Yeah. Okay. So just, just a, it's interesting and People want to know more about it. It's a pretty good Google search to just learn about 
uh, the pro-am just, yeah. seminal. Just Google seminal pro-am and you'll get some Twitter results too. I think like one the, year they had at, all four major champions come. You can uh, look at the played. field. It's so. crazy. The field's crazy. I want so there's no cameras there. It, it would be great to uh, to actually see a little bit. I've been like scouring like Instagram and Twitter just for seminal pro am. I haven't seen anybody. You post can go get pictures. the fried egg um, and the woke yolk uh, tweeted out the uh, pairing the, sheet. Yeah, the so it's, it's worth a look. It's definitely worth a look. But it, I, seminal must be like very strict on the. Uh, it's on the one cell of the phones. most exclusive places in the country. Probably yeah. harder to play there than play Augusta. You think so? I know so. Hmm. It's interesting. I thought you were gonna say like maybe Oakmont or something, but no. that's it. Uh, but I would love to see. Like, I want to know what goes on. Like, what do you think goes on at one of these things? You I'm think, sure there's like, a big card game. I'm sure there's. You think the, the golf drinks is are great. flowing and like you know there's I don't cigars think it's, and maybe after hours, <laughs> but inside the clubhouse behind closed doors. But I think it's it, you got to think of who these men are. They're the heads of Fortune 500 companies and they're the, some of the biggest corporate names and billionaires that exist in modern day business yeah i, I don't think they're getting too wild out there well, some of those guys are going to massage parlors in uh, jupiter florida <laughs> this is why there's no get, cameras get and nothing this is why they do it at seminole and not well, at a well, massage that's, parlor. that's what i'm saying i'm thinking like i think they probably get a little loose because there's you know they know nobody's recording nothing's going on anyways we can only hope to one day imagine. maybe we'll be invited <laughs> yeah, that'd be great Anyways, uh, we've got Austin Smotherman yep. coming up on the pod. Great interview. Scotty got this for us. Scotty met him uh, in Dallas. He talks yeah. about that. Yeah, so we talk about the time I got to meet him. Um, I flew down for a buddy's wedding, and we played Royal Oaks in the Dallas area, country club, and uh, found out that I was playing with a professional golfer, and uh, it was rather interesting. Good times. All right, so thanks for joining this week. Here is... Austin Smotherman. Enjoy. All right, now, welcome back to the Waggle Limit podcast. Um, guest of the show, PGA Tour Latino America winner and web.com rookie, Austin Smotherman. Hey, what's up, guys? What's going on, Austin? Glad to have you on the pod. Yeah, I appreciate it. I know uh, you guys have got some good episodes out. I'm excited to uh, be a part of one. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you so much for doing this. Obviously, I had the chance to meet you. Uh, we share a dear mutual friend and same name as Austin. And I was in Dallas for his wedding and uh, I come out and uh, he says there's going to be a fourth today joining us. And I'm like, great. And then it turns out I'm playing with two scratch golfers and then a professional <laughs> golfer and I'm a 20 handicap. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is just going to be awful. But uh, it couldn't have went better. Uh, and uh, I don't know if I ever said this, but thank you for your patience of uh, – you know, still wanting to play with me. I, I've part of part of the professional game is obviously playing with twenty handicaps throughout our uh, <laughs> our pro ams and things like that. And I can say you're one of one of the more uh, exciting twenty handicaps I've played with. I love it. What's your uh, Austin? What's the first question? What's your assessment of Scotty's game? Don't be bashful. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, it was it was a while ago, so I like to think that he's improved his short game. But uh, yeah, there you go. Who knows? I mean. You know, I played, you always you can't be too good at it. I played with him yesterday. He, he he chipped. He made a birdie on like the second hole, so that was the highlight of his day. 
But uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Scott is a good golfer. He's got good action. You know, some sometimes he's a little late on the ball, but he's a good. He's good golfer. he he's he's an a, he's an athlete, so he he figures it out. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's 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 get to well, who get this to the important yeah stuff. who this uh, interview is really about. Um, so you <laughs> moved on from the PGA Tour Latino America to Web.com this year. Could you just basically describe the difference of of travel and all the different expectations? that comes with uh, kind of stepping it up in the tour? Gosh, man, there's, there's so much. I mean, so I've played two seasons in South America, PJ Tour Latino America, that uh, consisted of, of easy travel days and some of the most difficult travel days you could ever imagine. <laughs> and uh, I mean, traveling to Southern Argentina, Patagonia, taking over 30 hours, three different flights, almost three different airports and two hour drive. And then you're finally where you're at and you have to go play golf that week. So, wow. I mean, that's not really how the web.com is throughout the year. And obviously it's a step up. So there's a lot of things that are kind of, uh, scheduled for us and we get, uh, we get provided, you know, more meals and things like that. But I mean, the exciting part about Latin America is, is the camaraderie we have with all the guys. I mean, we have a solid base of Americans on that tour now playing well. And most of our top 10 this year that got to final stage of Q school, were all Americans with the exception of two Colombians and a Chilean who are awesome. We got to play a team event with them, but aside from the Latino American countries, we have Europeans, we have, um, you know, Asians and I mean, every, every bit of uh, the world represented. That's great. Yeah, it's uh, you got a favorite place that you actually traveled when you're down there because you get to. I guess one one of the good things, as bad as the travel can be in terms of getting to places, you get to exactly. see some places, right? What was your favorite place you uh, you visited? Um, on that unbelievable tour? places. We've been. Uh, I would say I really, really enjoy Central America. I mean, Costa Rica, Nicaragua are some of the two most yeah. beautiful and kind of relaxful weekends, and. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get to play the weekend in Nicaragua, but that just meant more beach volleyball and uh, surfing. <laughs> it's always a plus so, when you're in Central America. So, I mean, those are those are weekends that we remember as uh, guys, as alumni from the tour that um, we take with us to the web. And we kind of have this little fraternity now on the web.com that we have guys, you know, that have graduated on that tour and stayed on that tour and gone to the PGA Tour. And, I mean, just yesterday we had uh, Keith Mitchell win the Honda Classic, and uh, he's a Latino America alum, and I think that's almost the third alumni of our tour to win this year. Yeah, that was a big win. So, man. That's, that's pretty impressive. That yeah, was, that's very impressive. That was a huge win. I loved his statement, uh, what he said about it. Um, he talked about uh, the line between the web.com and PJ Tour is so thin yeah. that I don't even know yeah. if you can see it, and I think that just kind of gives credence to – you know, how good the golf is on the web.com and, and for that matter, even the PGA Tour Latino America Tour. Exactly. And and I think it's also a statement to what those tours kind of breed is is it's it's difficult in some aspects, but guys that are that are dedicated enough and want to get the job done of getting PGA Tour, you have to you have to embrace it. You have to figure out what works for you and you you move forward and it's such a learning curve that by the time you get to the web you're so prepared that you're basically ready for the PGA tour and hopefully one season, which rookie season, five tournaments in, I, I know I've had a top 10 finish in my first event and then had a couple of close calls missing cuts, which you could, you could kind of write off that, you know, Oh my gosh, I've missed four cuts in a row. But you know, the thing is I've been playing great golf. I've missed two of those cuts by one shot and one guy. 
<clears throat> who yeah. had to come out. I mean, literally, I'm um, tied for 66 and 65 and ties make make the cut. So, you know, it's nothing. I mean, you're going to miss cuts throughout the year. I mean, Tiger missed cuts, not a lot, but uh, he missed some. So that's some uh, some hope in my eyes. Yeah, I, and I, I think a lot of people, it's not, at least in my eyes, some, sometimes underappreciate how hard it is to even, whether it's making the cut line or even qualifying for for these events, I hear so many stories about, you know, people who are trying to Monday qualify for an event and they shoot 63 and then they, you know, then they go to a playoff, they lose a playoff because, you know, the other guy birdied, yeah. they made a par. And there's just so many of these stories where it's just one shot, you know, you know, missing a putt to like Keith did. Keith missed a putt last year. I Dude, think you could get to the you're, you're ta- Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about Monday qualifiers where even this, this past week, I think it took, there was like a big playoff for the Monday qualifier for the Honda and yeah. it took, I think it took two Eagles on one of the par fives to get through the playoff. That's insane. So, like- I mean, they, I mean, what are you, I mean, what are you supposed to do? You could birdie that hole three times in a row and you're going to, and you, and so you lose, but it, I mean, <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Go, go play, go play professional golf. It's easy. Says nobody. Yeah, says nobody. So can you expand a little bit more on how hard it was, you know, to qualify for those, for those tours? I mean, we know that, you know, again, it's people with really talented golfers and you could have all the talent in the world. Right. But if you don't play well on that weekend, if you don't play well on that weekend, you're just SOL. Right. So can you talk a little bit about your experience kind of getting prepped for it and actually, you know, doing what you needed to do to get it done to qualify both for Latin America and then up to web.com? Yeah, so I mean, getting prepped for Latin America consisted of me turning professional right when I graduated senior year, and I had already gone through PJ Tour Canada or the McKenzie Tour Q School while mm-hmm. I was still in school before I graduated, and I missed out on any kind of status. So I was I was graduating two weeks later after having competed in Q School with no place to play on an official PJ Tour sanctioned tour. So my my whole um, schedule reverted back to Monday qualifiers. Monday qualifiers, my first summer out trying to do what you said, shoot 63 and get into an event and basically win to bypass kind of all the stress of Q school. And that summer I missed all the Mondays I played in, had a couple of 66s, 67s here and there. And, you know, I missed by two or three and move on. And I end up playing a couple of Adams tour events, which is now the all pro tour um, based out of Dallas. Yeah. And that tour pretty much provided four day events, uh, within proximity to these Monday qualifiers where I got the tournament experience and four days of, of competitive golf before I got into Q school. So, um, I played web.com Q school, my first summer out of school, uh, late 2016. And, uh, that went, that kind of fall, I went through pre-qualifying first stage, second stage shooting a combined, I believe I was, like nine under at pre Q, twelve under, and then thirteen under at nice. second stage, and obviously playing playing well. And I missed getting the final stage and having any kind of conditional web.com status by one shot. Oh, wow, it's unreal. I, was say, like, I, I, I feel like I've heard this story. It's, like, like, it's crazy. It's hard there's some. I mean, there, it's always there's always somebody every year that's on that same bubble, and uh, that first year out it just happened to be me. I mean, I was. I was young. I mean, I had played professional events, but I mean, it wasn't really, I mean, who knows, who knows how that year would have turned out had I been one shot better and played, had had a chance to play final stage. But I mean, probably would have missed my Latin America experience, which was really 
I think where I learned the most. Awesome. Yeah. So let's let's back up. You're originally from Loomis, California. You're a California boy. Um, did That's you right. <laughs> were you close to any of the prominent uh, Sacramento area golfers like you know Natalie Golbis, Spencer Levine, Nick Watney, Scotty McCarron? Did, did that kind of influence your drive into golf at all? Or um, I think I think more so it influenced kind of my parents and my my grandpa who were the ones who got me into golf. I mean, they, they saw these guys from kind of our Northern California roots and, uh, they, they followed them. They, I mean, I started playing golf when I was three or four, so I wasn't really watching much, you know, golf channel, yeah. you know, yeah. seeing these guys on TV, but my, my dad and my grandpa were. And so they, they were like, wow, like these guys, these guys are, you know, they're from around the corner and here we are. We got a chance to get some, some Snoopy, you know, plastic clubs in my hand. So they went ahead and, and bought them for me. So those, that was my first set, some Snoopy irons, and then turned into my grandpa, cutting down some of his old Sam Snead uh, blades, like literally cut them in half, put duct tape and uh, electrical tape as like the, the grip. <laughs> and I still great. have those still today, actually. So keep them that's that's a that's great but, i but, keep them too so, it's like that movie sevy i've watched like when there's nothing else on golf channel where he's like taping a stick and he's hitting the ball on the beach <laughs> seriously seriously and it, but all that stuff just breeds you know to, for you becoming your own player i mean so yeah. i mean getting back to what you what you asked scotty is like uh you know those sacramento guys um influenced me in a way but i mean i think you know it's tough to really play professional golf out of out of northern california just with the, the travel schedule um competitiveness i mean a lot of those guys are older are older and kind of sure. moved back or have, have lived other places and things like that to where you know they make their way to scottsdale or um maybe even dallas or somewhere yep. in florida because they can play more golf year-round yep so you're from California and uh, you obviously do very well in junior golf and you choose to uh, go to SMU down in Texas. So what brought you from Northern California to SMU? Um, it was kind of kind of a weird route I took uh, getting to Dallas and playing collegially at SMU. But I, uh, so I had, I mean, a lot of people maybe don't know this, maybe more people along, along with my, my freshman class, but I, uh, I had originally committed to UC Davis on a scholarship uh, very early in my junior year of okay. high school. And uh, so I had, I had committed really not going through, I mean, I'm from Loomis, California, which if you ask anybody even from California, they probably really don't know where that is. <laughs> so, I mean, we're, we're northeast of Sacramento, kind of up uh, – you know, an hour from uh, Lake Tahoe, Nevada border, about two hours maybe from San Francisco and um, small town of about 6,500 people where our high school hadn't really had a lot of recruited athletes out of it. So um, from advisors and even our coaches, we really didn't know the whole process. My family didn't know the process of getting recruited, but here I am. I play in, uh, I play in three U.S. junior amateurs. Um, and my final one, I get paired with Jordan Spieth. Uh, when he ends up ends up winning his second one through stroke play, and wow. so that was kind of eye opening because here I am, this you know small town kid, I guess you could say from Loomis, paired with the number one junior player in the country, and he hits it in two fairway bunkers in the first two holes, and it's two under through two, and <laughs> I'm down the center, I'm down the center on the green even through two, and I'm yeah. like, what is going on? <laughs> um, so, but that, but his, his, yeah. So, I mean, so I learned a little bit about the recruiting process from, from just playing these, these bigger events and 
come come to be it. I get paired with uh, Bryson DeChambeau in the California State Junior Amateur uh, early in my senior year, just before well, just before senior year of high school starts. And uh, he had just committed to SMU the week prior, so we had Coach Gregory out there watching him. I mean, subsequently we're paired together. He has to watch me hit shots, and <laughs> of course, when I uh, I, I, I birdie the last to uh, beat Bryson by one and oh, uh, win story. the tournament on the third day. So um, it was a three-day event, winning the Cal State Junior with Bryson trying to go back-to-back years. He won it in NorCal, um, close to his home course in Fresno, and then uh, I won it down in Southern California the following year, which um, I, th- I believe Bryson finished like – he finished second, and then third place was Rico Hoey, who's another guy on the web.com this year, played college golf at USC. And uh, I think he's from Rancho Cucamonga, so down near you guys. And yeah, but yeah, it was just things like things like that where California breeds this junior golf, um, you know, group of a group of players that is is on the web.com tour. I mean, we got Maverick McNeely, who's been a staple out there for two years now, and mm-hmm. he's from Palo Alto, went to Stanford. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, and and I I know you get asked this all the time, and and I want to keep this part of the interview super brief, um, but watching Bryson and, and his success on tour, has that motivated you to know that, you know, you played so much golf with him and seeing him dominate, you know, at SMU and then now dominate a lot of events on the PGA tour. Like what is your reaction to that? It's, it's, I mean, how can you not turn on the TV these days? And, and, you know, at one point, you know, see your roommate up on, up on, you know, golf channel, right. you know, basically every 45 seconds. It seems like it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's definitely motivating. And I mean, the fact that he was the one that kind of mentioned to me at that event down in Southern California about SMU and next thing you know, um, coach Gregory and I talk and I end up uh, decommitting and recommitting to SMU and to go through four years. Well, basically three, I mean, I, I finished with my degree, which I always, I'll have that over his head until he goes back to school. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And you beat him that one time. So yep. you that over his head. I beat I beat him then I beat him in qualifying. I mean, we came in. We had a really really strong freshman class. We had five five freshmen my my recruiting class, three of us from California, which was another reason why SMU was kind of so attractive. Just because I knew I knew the type of player Bryson was, and then we had another guy uh, Ryan Burgess who was my freshman roommate um, from San Diego. He played at Rancho Santa Fe High School, which. Um, obviously he knew, he knew Phil Mickelson a little bit cause he was, um, from down there and played at one of his home courses. So good player in himself. And we had, uh, we had this group of five guys that, you know, we, uh, we figured out how to get it done. My sophomore year, we ended up playing uh, match play for, uh, NCAA. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's good stories with Bryson down there. So now we know you're close friends with them, your roommates you mentioned. So obviously the public has a perception of, you know, the mad scientist, like the way he goes about things. No stone is unturned. He kind of analyzes everything, right? Is that, is that how yeah. it is kind of in, in, in normal life? Like as a friend, is that your, his inner circles perception of him as well? I mean, it, it really is. It's impressive how, not only how hard he works, but I mean, what I tell a lot of people is, I mean, he was, I mean, the classes he was taking in SMU were obviously challenging him, and he might not have been, you know, the the brightest or getting the highest grade on every single test he was taking. But he was. We, I think there was some at some point 
one of our athletic advisors had to um, outsource a uh, tutor for one of his physics class because our athletic department did not even provide tutors for that class. Really? And it's like, <laughs> like, you're, like you're, you're it's too like, smart I'm for like, tutors. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, we like they can't even they can't even help you here here at SMU right now. Like, how? Like, why are you doing this? And it's just what do you believe? believe I mean, I was an advertising major with a sports management minor, and uh, I mean, it wasn't maybe the most difficult major, but I mean, we had a lot of group projects where a lot of the physics stuff he's doing so individually doesn't have anybody around him, so he just digs deep and gets through it. I mean, that hardworking um, gene he has in him is something that I'm, you know, very, very kind of maybe envious of in a way. Yeah, it's it's just to me the funniest part about that is like SMU basically had to say, uh, no, "Sorry, we have to get new tutors. Like our tutors are not smart enough for your classes." <laughs> so that's uh, so that's the most Bryson thing ever. So do you guys do you guys ever like do you guys ever you ever have beers with him on the golf course and just relax? Is that is that still? I mean, can he still do that? Can you still do that with your schedules out on the web dot com? I mean. I mean, I wish I wish I was playing the same tour tour right now as Bryson, just so I could convince him on these off weeks, and um, so we could have the same off weeks, so we could see each other more. Because already it's, uh, it's tough to even really run into each other with our yeah. schedules and yeah, matching so much. But I mean, beers on the course probably aren't happening very recently. I mean, I've been trying to drag him out of the course as much as possible because he loves hitting balls. If, if anybody knows that and uh he won't he won't stop but um no i mean the big thing for him i mean he loves he loves grilling out doing doing steaks and steaks and wine and uh he's got no sort shortage of good wine nowadays so <laughs> there, you go. there you go there you go um and just building off of that um you obviously and your wife who i had jessica who i just had a chance to go to dinner with you guys put down some roots yeah. in dallas now what's been that process and is that been just wonders to your game to be able to you know play and practice year-round gosh man uh, no no doubt i mean dallas has been awesome for my wife and i we've uh, we're both from california norcal and um to end up here in dallas to have so many connections as we do in the golf world and for her and her business with um working for leela rose is uh is a huge thing for us um we we definitely would not be where we're at without having been in Dallas. And I mean, travel aspects for me and just being around the competitive nature here in Dallas. I mean, every week I feel like I run into a new PGA tour pro. And just this last Friday, we had, we had a 10, uh, almost, we could have played a 10 some if we really wanted to out at Trinity forest, my home club here, but, uh, we ended up splitting up in two five sums. And then we had five members with us. We had like a 45 degree day. There was maybe like five groups going off and we just got this, you know, competitive game going between 10 pros and, five you know scratch scratch members we have and i mean something like that would really not be possible in northern california you know on a weekly basis if we wanted to i love that i love the idea of that uh, so you're at trinity forest oh you? dude you would you would love it scotty you might you might get you might get rocked a little bit and have to fork up a little cash but uh <laughs> that's okay <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that, that that's okay you you can have you can have the whole Venmo account you would have plenty of content after that day. Don't you worry. Oh, <laughs> uh, sure. We'll live stream it on IG. Next time. That you get would it. be awesome. 
I, we actually, we actually probably say that more, more and more every week and we should do it. Cause I mean, we had, we had probably, we had about six current web tour guys, two past web guys, and then, uh, two previous SMU, um, graduates that are still, you know, on those developmental tours, like I said. So, I mean, it's, it's an awesome group. I mean, and that's just at Trinity Forest on, on a single day, now, let alone we have, you know, TPC Craig Ranch, we have Merido, um, all these clubs that have so many guys out it. And then I know we played Royal Oaks, which they got a couple guys out there, Scotty Scheffler, um, just to mention one of them. So, yeah, it's another great, you know, sort of little cauldron of, of PGA Tour professionals, just like Jupiter and Scottsdale and all that stuff. But so at you're at Trinity Forest, obviously that's Cameron McCormick's club and, you know, famous for that. Is Cameron's your coach, right? He is, yep. I've been working with Cameron since my uh, my sophomore year of college, and uh, he was really kind of my, my first full-time coach uh, going through high school. And uh, my freshman year, I pretty much – relied on uh, the few lessons I had had in high school and understanding that I was a uh, very strong right-handed golfer where I hit big draws and if I drew it too much I need to weaken it and try and hit fades and that was all I worked with. Oh, awesome well just a couple more and then uh, then we'll get you out of here. Um, one of the cool things online about you is how uh, Jesse actually surprised you during your final round at the Bahamas earlier this year. And now yeah. I feel like, I feel like anytime you type in your name in Google, that's what comes up. So like looking back at that video, how cool is that for you guys to share? Oh my gosh, man. That's, I know, I mean, I mean, I, people think that I knew and things like that. And I mean, 100%, I had absolute zero idea the entire day. Um, I've never been the best at being surprised. I had a couple surprise birthdays and they did not go over well. <laughs> and, uh, I feel like I, I noticed it more so. And then I don't, I don't have the right reaction. People say, cause like, I just get so shocked. Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm just going to stand here. And, um, she, I mean, she was there on the 18th green. I mean, it was, it was like, I literally spoke to you five hours ago what are you doing right here yeah and uh they got i mean the web.com got a hold of it and their media guys kind of they obviously put that video together and like if anybody any of you listening i guess just google web.com jesse surprising austin or something i guess but uh i mean i had zero idea i mean i saw the cameras there I was like i was playing i was playing all right i mean i was like inside the top 15 for the last few holes moved inside the top 10 i was like all right, I guess I'm getting some coverage and this is, this is kind of cool. All right. First web.com event. And then, you know, come to be it. I mean, it's not even for me. It's for Jesse hiding in the trees behind me. I'm like, gosh, guys, come on. (laughs) (laughs) So such great video uh, content. we, We had, I mean, we had no idea. And so, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, she stayed, I mean, it was, it was about a, a 24 hour trip where she figured out, I mean, she just wasn't going to pass up on, on that um, opportunity to be there for my first photo event. I mean, one of the guys I played with had a chance to win it coming on the stretch and that easily could have been me. And I mean, to have been able to share a win with her would have been, would have been something special. Yeah, that's, I mean, either, I mean, there was just such a good video and a good scene, whole, whole situation there. That's very funny. Uh, so uh, switching gears a little bit, the new rules have gotten a lot of uh, attention in golf so far. 
And you actually had, yeah. I, I read, I read about a thing where you actually had a, a bit of a rules controversy in Argentina. I think it was where I guess they deemed that like you moved a ball out of a, you chipped in or hold out from, from like, you know, a ways back. And then you removed the ball out of the cup. And apparently some of the ball was, was above the cup after. And then you found out around like a, a so, few hours after the event. So tell us, take us through that story. Cause that seems very odd. <laughs> gosh, man. That, that is one of the craziest, like just series of unfortunate events you could ever imagine for a golfer, nonetheless, a professional golfer with a chance to win on Sunday when he finishes his round. Yeah. Come to be it. He's disqualified. So, I mean, it was, it was in Cordoba, Argentina, which is the hometown of Angel Cabrera. So he was actually playing the event as well. So we had a lot of good crowds, awesome week. Um, on PJ tour Latin America. And I've had the, uh, I've had our officials now this past season tell me that that video of me that was taken on the first hole, holding out from 125 yards at like seven 40 in the morning <laughs> was what they showed at the USGA seminar when they were deciding and clarifying this rule. So everybody, everybody on, everybody on Latin America is, is got the joke around, you know, it's floating around that this is basically the awesome Smotherman rule. You know, if, a hole is, if, if, if a hole is not 100% below the surface of the cup, it is, it is not deemed hold. So it's basically still in play. You know how you see people rattle the flag stick? Like and, rattle. You know, like the ball so drops to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it yeah, drops. exactly. That's the only so, reason why is because so, Austin Smotherman like. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well that, was, that, was, that, was, that was the norm. That was the norm. Everybody would do that before. But here's the thing is that that first hole, literally my second swing of the entire day. And, and here, listen to this. The course we're playing, the driving range is 15 minutes from the course by bus. We have about a, uh, we have about a 20 by 10 putting green for all players. <laughs> and so we, so I hit, well, I hit balls that morning for maybe 15 minutes. And then I had about a 45 minute wait before I ever even teed it. Cause I had to drive 15 minutes with the bus, get to the yeah. course, warm up putting, and then basically go hit hybrid off the first to 125 out, and then I hold the gap wedge for my second swing basically in the last hour. Wow. And I was, so I walk up to this green just, I you're, mean, you're what, what just happened? Like, this is, this is sweet. It's Saturday. It's moving day. We're going to get this going. And there's a camera guy there. There's a photographer. So, I mean, as, as <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm looking at the camera, literally smiling at him, giving him a thumbs up as I'm disqualifying myself <laughs> by, by, by removing the ball out of the hole with it being pinched up against the lip of, and the pin, you know, with, you know, a, a centimeter or so above the cup as I'm avoiding the other lines by the two guys I'm playing with. I fix my pitch mark. I'm waving to the guy and this whole thing just goes down in such a blur, just me, you know, maybe being a little bit out of it, but also, I mean, maybe not understanding the rule to its entirety and it's all on me. I mean, if I, I could have had anything happen, I could have, I could have started choking on my, my own saliva and fell into the pin and it fall, fell to the bottom of the cup by accident. And I would have had no idea that I was keeping myself in the tournament. Right. Right. So, uh. so I, I removing the ball from the hole, going to the second hole and teeing it is what was it is what the disqualification was by, basically starting nah. the second hole with never finishing the first. 
not finished yet. Not finishing the first one. But, but come to be it. Listen, come to be it to make the story even even more cringeworthy. I I'm I'm in about seventh place going into the 18th hole that day. They move the hole to being to be drivable. I hit driver, kicks off this tree. We search for it. We find it out of bounds across the 11 fairway. I go back, hit five iron, hit wedge on two putt for double to move to like 11th place. And then I sit in my ho- the host hotel room for about two hours, and I get a call from the officials to come down and speak with them in the lobby. We sit in the lobby, have a cup of coffee, and they show me this video and disqualify me, which there's no no way I can dispute it. But the next morning, I mean, that night was a long night, and uh, I actually ended up ca- I ended up caddying for my roommate Jonathan Sanders that Sunday because he had a local caddy that was kind of struggling. He was older, kind of couldn't really make it around the course, and. Um, so I caddied, I caddied Sunday of the tournament having played Saturday, even, <sighs> even crazier story. That's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. And it's another one of those things. I don't know if they've done anything to address that rule. I mean, I don't think they, I mean, it's just such a rarity, right? I mean, like usually you see balls exactly. that like, you know, they drop below the cup or are they below the cup? They're in between the pin and the side of the hole. Like, I, I feel like I've seen players remove a ball, you know, that's, that's in that, you know, general area, you know what I mean? So I, man, whatever, whatever, done the same thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then problems, we'll get you out of here quick. Um, what's it like to win a golf tournament in Tijuana and what's the celebration like? Ooh, it's gotta be a good celebration. Oh my gosh, guys. The, so it was, we had come straight from, uh, straight from Guatemala. We were in Guatemala the week before playing and, uh, we get to Tijuana uh, the course we're playing is actually awesome. We played a, a club Campistre de Tijuana, basically country club of Tijuana. And, uh, the, uh, the front nine, I believe was designed by Alistair McKenzie and the back nine was designed by a local Mexican architect. So it had two very distinct nines and it was kind of tricked out here and there. I mean, I, I won at 18 under par that week by four shots and I played out of my mind. I made, made everything I looked at and I came into the 18th hole with a four shot lead. So it was a, it was definitely an iron off the last and like a seven iron in, um, two putt, two putt for the win. But, uh, I don't know if, if you guys read this or not, but there was some article out there. So that, that Wednesday pro-am, I, uh, my eight iron head flew off into the middle of the range. Oh gosh! <laughs> and here's here's the difference. Here's the difference between PJ Tour Latin America and PJ Tour uh, or well, the Web.com tour is you know we, Web.com we have our our tour trucks, tailor made tailor made reps, all those guys, and I could have had my eight iron replaced in basically probably twenty five minutes. Right. Well, we're in Tijuana. <laughs> the one of the one event the one event I could maybe make it to. Uh, Carlsbad to the kingdom and get it fixed and get back in time. Sure. But I'm crossing the border, crossing the border twice. It's Wednesday morning, Thursday time. I just, I just say, you know what? I mean, I'll take I, eight iron out of the bag for the week. I guess I'll keep play three iron and hybrid, even though I'm never going to hit hybrid at the three iron course all day long, just to yeah. have 14 clubs in the bag. Right. And, uh, come to be it the way the wind is and everything comes down like the 10 10 t ball which was the par three was in a perfect eight iron for four straight rounds and 
<laughs> so what'd you do? Did you lay off the seven or what, what oh, happened? No, it was it was a ripped nine to the front edge, long two putt twice, and then a smooth seven to like the middle back edge. And I actually birdie at the final day with this like twenty footer that I made in the final round. Oh, that's good. But it was so that that's how the whole week went. And so the win was even sweeter. I mean You won a tournament without an eight iron. Won the turn with no eight iron, and I mean, yeah, hybrid three iron. I didn't even hit the high. I mean, never even, <laughs> never even considered hitting the hybrid. And uh, the uh, the walking score I actually had was a high schooler from uh, from Tijuana. Lived in Tijuana, but he uh, he went to high school in San Diego, so he had this little fast pass to uh, drive across the border. And uh, that night, won the event, signed all my all my you know flags and and talked to the media and you know volunteer photos and obviously enjoyed every bit of that and that was that was pretty special because I would have stayed there all night if people wanted to but they started <laughs> leaving to go to their they started leaving to go to their own parties right right and uh, well the walking score that I had was I was like 16 years old was the only guy left in the in the basically on the 18th green and I asked him if he could drive me to the border because my flight the next afternoon was out of San Diego. So he actually drops me off at the border and uh, crossed the border with the trophy in hand, travel bag, suitcase, backpack on, and uh, put the trophy right there as I talked to the customs agent, you know, get, you know, get welcomed back to the United States. And then my buddy who played the event and finished earlier that Sunday had picked me up on the other side. And of <laughs> course, we, went, we, we, we went and had pizza and beer and uh, crashed at this place and went to the airport the next morning. Uh, that's awesome. So you got a little night out and, or, a night with your buddy in San night Diego. Out, night so. out in San Diego. And obviously the pizza and beer was on me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I was going to say, you got any pictures of you like crossing the border with a backpack and like a trophy? <laughs> from the That'd be awesome. I, I wish. we were. There, I actually ended up running into a couple other golfers that had gotten delayed or they just weren't really rushing to get across the border that night. And, uh, we, we ended up walking some crazy route because whatever line we were in, they're having issues and there's supposed to be another shorter line over here. So one guy only had two bags. The other guy had like three and we ended up like trading off who was, who was carrying the travel case so I could carry my trophy. And like, <laughs> it was just all back and forth. It was awesome. Uh, good times. So you got to play at the Byron Nelson in 2017, right? I did. Yeah. So you got a I received that start there. off a sponsor's exemption. Yeah. 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 That's so talk a little bit about that. How was that experience? You're in Texas, which is now your, your home state and you've got PGA tour, you know, PGA tour versus at the time you were on the web, right? Um, no, that was during my oh, Latino. The middle part of my first year on Latino America. So, okay. um, that was that was May 2017, uh, one year out of school where uh, it was just kind of a, a crazy scenario where I was having lunch at Trinity Forest and um, the, the event was moving there the following year and Randall Stevenson, the uh, CEO of AT&T, had happened to sit down at the same table at me, as me and had asked me what, what I was doing. And I was like, well, I, I play professional golf, you know, X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and he just, he just asked me, you know, so what are your goals, this and that? And I, I shot it to him straight. And, um, a couple months later I was getting, getting invited to play the, play the Byron Nelson. That's awesome. Shout out, that, shout out to Mr. Yeah. Stevenson. Yeah, there you go. Mr. Stevenson and, uh, played the pro-am that week with, uh, Lori Lee and some of her associates who, 
is uh, she basically ran that whole event and it was awesome. But I mean, we had uh, we had a great time, and that Friday was actually my birthday as well, May nineteenth. Uh, what a great shot week! Six, shot shot sixty nine on my birthday to miss the cut by a few, but those first few holes were a whirlwind. I mean, I hit three wood off the first and not go through the fairway. If anybody knows um, TPC Las Colinas, I mean, it's a dog leg yeah. right hole number one. And I mean, I busted three wood like on shot tracer, like three ten through the middle of the fairway. Just no chance. It's cutting the corner just straight into the hot dog stand. <laughs> I mean, it was. <laughs> Love it. That's, a, that's the way to start your PGA Tour career, right there. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a three wood three ten down the middle, but it happened to be on a dog leg right. So. <laughs> All right. Well, these next couple are speed rounds. So just one word answers, whatever comes to mind. Uh, we'll start. We'll on, eat at the turn or after the round? Oh, after the round. Yeah, he can't have he can't have a full stomach. <laughs> he, he hits balls into hot dog stands. He doesn't have a hot. He doesn't have a dog at the stand on there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it would have been maybe it would have been beneficial. But are uh, you like uh, early morning or twilight? Uh, early morning. I like that. Uh, drink of choice on the golf course. I usually I usually do just just water just water. But if it's not a tournament round, I don't mind a good Miller Lite. That's what, I, that's what i that's what i call that's what i call birdie juice birdie juice i like it <laughs> uh you're a tailor-made guy you're a m5 or m6 m5 all right and your dream foursome must be alive uh dream foursome alive would uh i would throw my dad in, in the mix i would throw jack nicholas and probably tiger woods can't beat uh, that, right? Yeah, that's your dad, Jack, and Tiger. And my dad. What a, a line! My dad, my dad, my dad, Jack, and Tiger. Yeah, I like go. it. Well, all right. Well, well, that that's it for us. Uh, thank you so much, Austin. Continue success out there. I follow. Uh, hopefully, all of our listeners now will become followers. Uh, how do we support you on social media? Yeah, man. I uh, thank you guys for having me. I mean, I'm uh, I'm pretty simple. No crazy uh, Instagram handles out there. I mean, just Austin underscore Smotherman, S M O T H E R M A N. Sometimes I just say S Motherman, <laughs> like a compound word. And then uh, on Twitter, on on Twitter, on Twitter, we just got a uh, Austin S M O S M O. So Smo Smo. That's kind of a nickname I got. I will best of luck this year, man. Keep playing well on the web and uh, let's hope for a PGA tour next year, buddy. That's right. Yeah. I mean, one, one season we can do it. Let's do it, buddy. All right. Thank you so much. Take it easy, buddy. Hey, you guys have a good night. All right. You too. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye.